0: everyone and welcome back to classic vinyl podcast I'm your host Justin and I've got here beside me my co-host Tyler my name is Tyler got you here once again I am back so tonight or today or this morning or whenever you're listening we are going to review for the 60th anniversary of its release the Beatles first UK album please please
1: me so thank you for letting us into your ears
0: yeah, it's, it's kind of a strange thing because the Beatles' uh, whole line of UK albums, the way they intended them to be, were not released that way here in the States. Um, well, at least their first seven albums were released differently up until Sgt. Pepper's, and so over here we got different Capitol albums by the Beatles. But this is the, the day, March 22nd. Of 1963, so the 60th anniversary of the release of this album, which uh, kicked off the Fab Four. Of course, they released it in the UK. We didn't get the album here until 1987 on compact disc. Dang! But, anyways, (laughs) let let me give a little history on the Beatles if people don't already know. But uh, they're a small band formed in uh, Liverpool in 1960. Uh, Oh, the four lads from Liverpool. Yeah, you've heard of them. Yeah. They are regarded, really, as the most influential band of all time. Mm -hmm. Whether you agree with that or not. um, Go ahead and argue against it. You can argue against it, but they definitely have been influential. So, uh, you know, they did have 20 number one hits in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, 27 number one hits total in the U.S. and U.K. And the funny thing is, they probably would have had about double that amount if their own songs wouldn't have kept their other songs off the top of the charts yeah show me another band that has that problem yeah (laughs) so best-selling band of all time with over 180 million worldwide sales in albums (laughs) so you know obviously the fab four made of John Lennon Paul McCartney George Harrison Ringo Starr they did not start that way they had a few other band members but you know we don't want to go into the complete history but uh, John Lennon basically started the band as the Quarry Man. Paul McCartney soon joined, brought along uh, George Harrison. Mm-hmm. And they found Pete Best was their drummer up until basically the recording of this album when he was replaced by the best drummer in Liverpool, Ringo Starr, Mr. Richard Starkey. So why did they, uh, why'd they replace Pete Best? Well, basically, George Martin, when they brought him in, and we were going to get into this, but since you want to go into it early. Okay. Uh, they brought him in. George Martin, the producer, didn't really like Pete Best. And it was quite common at the time for them to bring in session musicians, especially mm-hmm. session drummers, and so he brought in a session drummer, Andy White, but unbeknownst to him, once he you know, showed his displeasure for Pete Best drumming, the Beatles immediately, you know, with all their kind-hearted Mm-hmm. Uh, how they were at that time in their yeah. uh, their lives, decided to fire him and hire Rich, Richard Starkey, Ringo Starr. Well, that makes sense. And so, kind of interesting there. But, you know, the Beatles, the name the Beatles, spelled B-E-A-T is in beat music, is kind yeah. of a play on words from like Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Sure. Because Buddy Holly and the Crickets, you know, were also another animal or well not animal <laughs> a but bug, bug yeah. that made sound right yeah so but you know they had a manager famously brian epstein that pretty much brought them into the forefront of everything you know put them in the suits and the boots and the haircuts they were well known for and you know they cut their teeth playing in hamburg germany in the cavern club in liverpool um and like i said they had the album situation was a mess worldwide you know the albums they recorded and you know produced put down in the uk were released differently especially in the u.s and it's confusing so a lot of people especially who grew up in this time do not know please please me because it did not come out that way so kind of interesting but it kind of makes for a different I, I kind of enjoy it, because it's kind of fun to mm-hmm. see the different way they've arranged the albums and things. I've got a cool little chart that kind of shows, you mm-hmm. know, the original albums on one side, and what's it shows like a flow chart of what albums those songs went to on the other side in the U.S. It's
1: it's kind of interesting, but... Well, you know, potato, potato. Exactly. And uh, but it's schedule and schedule and... But I uh, am... You know, the funny thing is, is I grew
0: up with the U.K. releases because... Mm-hmm. You know, in 1987, they re released them all on compact disc. Oh. Correctly. Okay. Correctly as they meant. And that's what I'm used to. So I'm not really used to the U.S. releases, but any of our, you know, anyone that lived through Mm -hmm. Beatlemania and when they invaded the U.S., so to say, they'll be used to the U.S. albums. Mm -hmm. And they are quite a bit different, you know. I like listening to albums in the order they're supposed to go. I don't Mm -hmm. do a lot of playlists and things like that. I like listening to albums. And so I'm sure a lot of people were like that. And it's kind of weird to go to the original UK album. So I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that still prefer the U.S. albums. So
1: Do you also eat your vegetable soup in in alphabetical order with the...
0: I don't eat any soup. No. Alphabet soup? Not no. alphabet soup. Okay. I won't do it. Because I was curious. If... No. Hmm. So anyways. Okay. <laughs> the Beatles it big in the U.S., obviously, with I Want to Hold Your Hand. Um, you know, they released it in December of 63, mm-hmm. and by mid-January it was number one, and that, that kind of set up their invading of the U.S., yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, February 7, 1964 is when they arrived in New York, to 3,000 screaming fans, which kind of kicked off Beatlemania here in the U.S., right? Yeah.
1: Um, the the world had not really seen a phenomenon
0: like this. No, it was an interesting thing. You know, coming off the Kennedy assassination and stuff, mm-hmm. I think it was a good thing for the nation to heal. Yeah. You know, it was a good thing that's coming. And I'm sure to a lot of people, especially old timers, it was looked at as a flash in the pan, the mm-hmm. same way we look at certain things today, now that we're the old timers, right? Yeah. But I think the Beatles definitely proved most people wrong in that aspect, for sure.
1: And uh, the Beatles, uh, let's see, let me organize my thoughts here for a second. But the, the relationship that we've had between the United States and Great Britain has been that the United States is more boisterous and outspoken and uh, loud. And the British have always been more reserved and uh, more quiet and peaceful, right? Calm. <laughs> yeah. So the phenomenon of British Beatlemania is, uh, like, this is just a really insane thing where the, you get that mix of the United States being so loud and boisterous, <laughs> and uh, the Beatles just ate it up. Oh, yeah. And, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was two days after
0: they arrived uh, in New York to play mm-hmm. The Ed Sullivan Show, famously to 73 million people. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if you know, but that's a third, one third of the U.S. population at the mm-hmm. time. There is nothing nowadays that gets that kind of. I mean, even mm-hmm. the Super Bowl. Yeah. I think gets seventy million
1: worldwide, and we're talking in a New world. New Year's bit, Eve. I mean, what? what yeah, the uh, Macy's Parade. Anything.
0: Yeah, nothing. I mean, yeah. nobody watches <clears throat> that, and that's just U.S. viewers, right?
1: Hmm.
0: I mean, the Beatles went on to do several movies, like Hard Days Night, and Help, and Magical Mystery Tour, and Get mm-hmm. Back uh you know it, and they famously you know they toured all over played really short concerts where they couldn't hear themselves and nobody could hear them because of all the screaming but <laughs> august 29th 1966 they played their last concert and it was at Candlestick Park in San Francisco mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people were sad they I don't think they really announced they were going to quit touring but I'm happy they did because mm-hmm. that's when they ended their or that's when they ended that phase and went into the studio phase where they where they spent so much time creating these albums. You know, they mm-hmm. had just got done recording Revolver mm-hmm. and then they went full on in the studio with Sgt. Peppers and you know, I think if they were still touring it would have made it hard for them to create these masterpieces.
1: Um uh, it's really hard when you're getting death threats. Because uh, there was a, plenty of that going around, Yeah, too. I mean, the whole John Lennon thing where he had said,
0: you know, they were more popular mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ, which mm-hmm. I think they probably were in some yeah. aspects. <laughs> at least to the children, right? For sure. And a lot of other things, you know, gone on. They, I think they, they didn't feel like their music was improving, you know, playing. Mm-hmm. And so it yeah. was what it was. But... And and one other thing I left out, George Martin, their producer, I mean, very, very key from the very beginning, you know, actually mm-hmm. played on a lot of the songs they had and had a lot of direction to what they did. And so there's a lot of argument to who the fifth Beatle is. It's always been an argument, and I would consider George Martin, without a doubt, the oh, fifth Beatle. Over Pete Best? Yes, I think. Mm-hmm. Pete's done well. You know, he's been able to write books and do media tours
1: and things, so he's mm-hmm. done well. Yeah. You know, great uh, story that he gets to tell about this. But, uh, yeah, I think we're we're all the better for the Beatles having Ringo star. I agree. I think he just fit in a lot better. So,
0: you know, the Beatles mm-hmm. in seven years made 13 studio albums, which is unheard of nowadays. Yeah. You know, most people in seven years barely get a couple albums out. So the amount of material they cranked out... Uh, you know not to mention how groundbreaking most of the material was is just crazy you know i mean and mm-hmm. most of that due to the Lennon and McCartney writing duo um obviously Harrison his writing came in very strong towards the end of the Beatles tenure mm-hmm. so which was you know very popular yeah you know so you know and All four Beatles have been inducted in the Hall of Fame as Beatles and as solo acts they've Mm -hmm. all all four of them had very very good solo careers you know I mean Paul McCartney he's you know done 26 studio albums seven of them with wings three with a band he formed Mm -hmm. more recently called the fireman he's had almost 50 million in total album sales as a solo act Uh, John Lennon 23 million album sales as a solo act, and that's 11 studio albums. And obviously, he was killed in December of 1980, or he'd probably have more. Yeah, um, George Harrison has released 12 studio albums, he has over 10 million worldwide sales on albums. And of course, George died in December 2001 at the age of 58. Mm -hmm. So, and then Ringo. He's actually recorded 20 studio albums and has a couple million in sales on those. He's done really well for the drummer not, of the Beatles. He's not bad for a drummer, <laughs> yeah. I was <should> say. <laughs> and so, you know, that's kind of an overview of the Beatles. We're not going to go in-depth on them because anyone that knows the Beatles knows we could spend hours and mm-hmm. hours and hours
1: just on a... A month of their history. Yeah, you're not going to get anything new about the Beatles, any of you Beatles fans out there.
0: No, and I'm one of of the biggest Beatles fans there are. You know, I listen to a lot of the Beatles podcasts. In fact, you know, you really need to go check out Nothing Is Real. It's Mm -hmm. an excellent Beatles podcast that uh, deep, deep dives into all kinds of subjects. And so if you really want to learn something new, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, you'll know what they had for dinner. on a certain date so (laughs) that's that's nothing is real podcast is an excellent podcast if you want to learn about the Beatles and there are others out there as well yeah um let's get to the album so please please me it was released on this day March 22nd in 1963 so 60 years happy birthday yeah and of course that's only in the UK Mm-hmm. Um, the Beatles had signed with EMI Records in May of 1962, and they they recorded the bulk of "Please Please Me" in September of '62. Okay, uh, it was just like all those things; it was recorded fairly quickly. Um, in fact, George Martin actually wanted to record the album as a live album. Um, they initially wanted to record it at the Cavern, but I guess George Martin visited one of their concerts there. Where they played quite frequently, and, and the acoustics weren't good in there, and so they just mm-hmm. finally opted for a studio album. All right. Um, but when this album was released, it it in the UK it stayed in the top ten for over a year. You know, and the funny thing is, thirty weeks at the top of the charts, right? Yeah. And guess what replaced it? Their second album. <laughs> so, like you said, you know some yeah. of, some of their records and things are and I don't mean the vinyl, Mm -hmm. I mean the records they own as far as chart toppers and things like that, they've almost, because of the frequency they release singles Mm -hmm. and albums, they knocked their own selves off of the charts. So it would have been interesting to see how long some of those things would have held if... Mm You know, it would have been a normal circumstance.
1: Well, yeah, show me any song nowadays that's uh, 30 weeks at the top of the charts, <laughs> only to be bumped out by another uh, album from that same artist. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and, and that happened with their singles all mm-hmm. over the place, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the U.S., the you know, Capitol Records was EMI's mm-hmm. U.S. branch, okay. and they really didn't bite on the Beatles. They didn't want to... Mm-hmm. really have much to do with them but they did get VJ records to bite on them and and they they released an album um, that same year but it it was a little bit different okay. because it it only had 12 songs instead of 14 because that was kind of the more mm. common thing in America American labels like to have no more than 12 songs <laughs> they didn't put please please me on which was the title track and they didn't surprising and they didn't put ask me why. Huh. Um, now, they did release it later as a second version and did include those songs on and kicked a couple other songs off. Oh, I see. So, VJ Records, uh, kind of an interesting album. Yeah. Um, so, Rolling Stone, which we do refer to sometimes on there, ra- rated uh, Please Please Me as the 39th best album of the top 500 and they ranked it as number 17 best debut albums of all time. I take a little you know I kind of disagree with that. Okay. I don't think it I honestly don't think it should be as high on the top 500 albums of all time. Mm-hmm. But I think as far as debut, I guess it depends on whether you're ranking
1: it for for What's the metrics, right? Well, yeah. yeah, is it the content of the music, or is it the impact it had? Yeah, are we going by the number of sales, or are we going by, you know, what is it? Well, in the
0: impact, mm-hmm. you, you realize this kicked off everything as far as the British Invasion, which, yeah. whether you like the Beatles or not, you look at mm-hmm. your other bands, you know, it, it, there's a ton of them. I yeah. mean, we talked The Who, The Kinks, The mm-hmm. Rolling Stones, you know, Led Zeppelin. Black Sabbath, all these bands that kind of stemmed out of this. And Mm -hmm. I really don't think you'd have them or at least have them in the same capacity without the Beatles. For sure. And so, you know, kind of interesting. But anyways, Please Please Me, produced by George Martin. You know, and like we said earlier, he didn't like Pete Best drumming. Mm -hmm. He wanted a session drummer instead, so he hired Andy White. Um, Of course, as soon as the band knew George Martin,
1: didn't want pete best i i think it's kind of written just out of spite they said we don't want andy white or was it racism no no okay. no racism <laughs> no
0: i i think you mm-hmm. know the beatles historically didn't really do a lot with pete best and he didn't seem to fit in with the band as well at least since okay. the way it's been written in a number of books and i think mm-hmm. as soon as they you know they're on this verge of an album and all this stuff and mm-hmm. they're hearing that you know, the, the record producer doesn't want this drummer. They're like, well, okay, we're getting rid of him. We're going to get Richard Starkey, you know? He uh-huh. was from one of the real famous bands in Liverpool, Rory Storm. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of considered the best drummer in Liverpool. And, and he oh. had filled in for the Beatles. The Beatles knew him well, and okay. he hopped right on over. So,
1: well, And something I really like about Ringo Starr is that he's Got this real mellow personality, so easy going, that he just kind of, he's everybody's buddy, you know? I think he was, in a lot of ways, especially when you get into the
0: later tumultuous years of the Mm -hmm. Beatles, he was somewhat of a glue that held a lot of them together. Yeah. Because, you know, even after the Beatles split and stuff, he was kind of... He was the the common ground, right? He he really was between everyone, Mm -hmm. you know? so you know the funny thing is though their first single they released love me do the single is um ringo if you hear the single <laughs> you can tell it's ringo because oh. it doesn't have tambourine in it but the the love me do that makes it to this album was actually recorded with the session drummer andy white oh and if you want to hear the very first time they recorded it with pete best that's actually on the anthology 1 version. Mm-hmm. So, and they are different and in my opinion, listening to all of them back to back to back, Ringo stands out substantially, even more so than the session drummer Andy White.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, uh, Ringo just seems like he flows real well. He he, he meshes well with the with, as a drummer, as a singer, as a Beatle.
0: Well, I think, yeah, as a Beatle, definitely. I mm-hmm. think Ringo is a very underrated drummer. You know, he's not, we talk about Keith Moon a lot. He is no big Phil guy or whatever like mm-hmm. that. But he, if you really sit down and listen to his drumming, he he's perfect to keep in rhythm, and he does a mm-hmm. lot of things that other drummers couldn't do. And I think he's very, very undervalued as a drummer.
1: Sure.
0: It, and I think most, you know, Beatles fans especially know that. And people that really know mm-hmm. music know how you know, how undervalued he is because he's a lot better than truly what people (laughs) give him credit for. So, this album reached number one in the UK. Um, It did reach number two in the US in 1987 when they did finally release the UK versions on CD. Wow. But obviously this album was not released as it is, you know, Mm -hmm. in the US because because of Capitol records basically you know mm-hmm. so it's kind of interesting when we look at the cover of the album um you've got a picture of the band looking down over the stairwell at emi studios or the emi mm-hmm. headquarters sorry in london yeah and kind of an interesting fact about that is they recreated the shot in the later years it was going to be on the get back album which ended up being the let it be album but they were mm-hmm. going to do it just kind of referencing back to their old you know the old times but yeah. It never made it because well if anybody knows the history of the let it be album it didn't play out the way it was going to and in the uh, late 70s when they released the two double albums the red and blue greatest hits mm-hmm. they took the shot off of please please me for the early red album greatest hits and then the later one of them as they're older for the blue greatest hits so oh, it's wow. kind of a neat it's kind of neat to look at them back to back cuz they're standing yeah. in the same place but of course in the later one they've got beards and mm-hmm. different hair and they've aged a little bit and it almost seems worlds apart instead of mm-hmm. just 6 years apart. It's kind of yeah. crazy but you know so anyways um, when the first US album was released on Capitol
1: mm-hmm.
0: not BJ it was released as the early Beatles or not the first album sorry when this album when these songs made their first release in the US, it was released on an album called The Early Beatles. It was released on March twenty second of sixty five. Oh. So actually two years after this was released in in uh, in England. In England. England. And it was pretty much the same, just a, a little bit different song arrangement. So mm-hmm. and when Please Please Me was released in the UK, it was released in mono first and the stereo version was released just a month later. Oh, okay. So And they released two singles off this album, Love Me Do and Please Please Me, the title track. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the basics of the album. Um, Let's get into it right right. now on side one. So first song kicks off. I saw her standing there.
1: Mm -hmm. She was just 17.
0: Yeah, which was the original name of the song. Oh. Uh, was called Seventeen, which okay. nowadays that would get you in some kind of trouble. Statutory. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is a Lennon and McCartney song, but mainly written by McCartney. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what to say about this song. This this is a great song. It yeah. has an amazing intro. It kicks mm-hmm. right into it, and you have to put yourself into the shoes and the time and what this song was, because this is a very upbeat, rockin' song.
1: Yeah, Uh, Let's see. This is sung by Paul McCartney. Yes. And he also plays the bass, right? He does. It's got excellent bass work in it. That's one thing I I noticed about this song is excellent bass line. Yeah,
0: the bass line. And, you know, just like Ringo being undervalued as a drummer, Paul Mm -hmm. McCartney is very undervalued as a bass player. Mm -hmm. You get into some of the later years stuff, and he lays down some amazing bass lines. But I think where the Beatles weren't straight, head rock and roll they have such a variety of songs i think maybe that's overlooked a bit but paul mccartney an excellent
1: musician Uh, and uh, john lennon's uh, doing the backup singing right correct yeah and uh he's he's uh got a good supporting voice he Uh, does
0: well uh, and that goes into what you're going to see for years mm -hmm. and years from the beatles is the harmonies between lennon and mccartney and harrison at sometimes but Mm -hmm. especially the harmonies between lennon and mccartney You know, their voices mesh so well together. Yeah. You know, Paul generally sings on the higher end with, you know, John down a couple Mm -hmm. octaves on it, but they mesh so well. The chorus in this with Lennon is great. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, from the intro to the bass
1: work to just the fast-moving song, this song is a classic. I Mm -hmm. love this song. Oh, yeah. Um, One of the things I wrote down in this is, as uh, Paul McCartney's just, you know, belting it out, I, I wrote uh, Let It All Hang Out, Paul. Because it's, uh, <laughs> it's a great dancing song. Well, yeah, and
0: you got to realize this is 1963, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this... Yeah. I think some of these early songs don't hold up as well until mm-hmm. you put yourself in the context. But when you sit down and really listen to them, mm-hmm. it, it's amazing what they were doing,
1: you know? Yeah. When I think of this song, I think about... You know a uh, what a malt shop uh, from the 1950s uh, you know just a bunch of kids you know having a great time putting on uh, some, some rock and roll music on the jukebox and dancing
0: don't you think it's a little more risque than the the but, 50s though I mean cause that's it, just
1: it is when I think about it in my mind that's what I think but then when I listen to it 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 is more risque
0: I mean it's kind of yeah for it's, the time, it's kind of a heavy song it you is know? and yeah you know, this was um, this was the B-side to I Want to Hold Your mm-hmm. Hand. Um, I Want to Hold Your Hand topped the charts for seven weeks until it was knocked mm-hmm. off by another one of their songs. Um, and this reached number 14. Uh, speaking of Rolling Stone, they ranked this as 139th of their top 500 songs of all time. Mm-hmm. And I think this song holds It It holds a special place for me because this is the lead-off song to the lead-off Beatles album. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's me being based on the U.K. albums, which is how they meant them to be, right? Yeah. The U.S. releases had nothing to do with the way the Beatles meant no, them to be released. But yeah. as an American in those times, that's the way you know them, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to get used to listening to them that way. But this song is a 10 out of 10 for me. It's an awesome rocker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Got an amazing bass line, like we said, and Paul just belts it out, and it's yeah, you know, quintessential early Beatles song. You know, I mean, a good rocker. I think this was the perfect song
1: to open the album with. Yeah, something that I noticed about the songs on this album is that they all seem to go real fast, and it seems like they're over quicker than you expect them to be.
0: Well, I think. You know, at the time, you know, like I said, U.S. only wanted 12 songs per album. It was a little more common to put 13 or 14 on a British album. But mm-hmm. songs were, you know, you didn't have your epic five to seven no. to eight-minute masterpieces, you know. You're mm-hmm. talking two or three minutes. Yeah. You know, and, and that was kind of what it was, especially if as to be meant for radio play or singles, and I mm-hmm. think to keep people's attention. You know, the one thing about this album, as you'll see, obviously, I uh, – I saw her standing there. Was written by Lennon and McCartney. It's mainly McCartney's song, and that's how Lennon and McCartney did a lot of it. You know, one of them would come in with an idea, and they'd get with the other one and expound off of it. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the songs on this album are written by them, which wasn't very common at the time either. If you mm-hmm. go look at the Stones, the Stones were releasing albums pretty much of straight cover versions, mm-hmm. or you know, or songs other people had written for them. So, yeah. it was kind of strange for a songwriting duo to play instruments and sing and perform the songs that they had written you know so that that was another thing that made the beatles what they were so Mm -hmm. so we move on to song two misery yeah Uh, another song written by by lennon mccartney uh, this is sang by Lennon mainly, but he's got McCartney on a lot of it with him. Yeah, they switch places on this. Yeah, a lot of harmonies again in this, mm-hmm. and you're kind of seeing into what the Beatles are going to be, because they are well known for those harmonies, right? Yeah. Um, couple facts about this song. This is actually the first song that was ever covered by, this is the first Beatles song, you know, written by mm-hmm. some of the Beatles that were covered by someone else. Oh, really? It's covered by Kenny Lynch. Oh, uh I've never heard that version of it. Huh. So, um but the Beatles originally wrote this song for a famous British singer uh, named Helen Shapiro. They had toured with her and stuff and they they had written this song for her, but it mm-hmm. somehow didn't work out that way, right? Mm. And another thing is uh George Martin, their producer, he does play piano on this song with them. He's
1: a good pianist. Yeah.
0: He is. It's really good piano. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's an excellent musician all the way around, yeah. and that's why I say he's definitely the fifth Beatle because if not for him and Brian Epstein, you know I'm sure the Beatles' talent would have shown through to a certain degree, but I don't know what degree it would have. You know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> you can't really say at this point. But what do you think of this song?
1: Uh, you know, it's a, really a catchy song. Um it's it's kind of interesting to to hear the um the music that the beatles play with these songs because sometimes the the music seems happy but the message of it is just misery misery it's a, you know i think the first line is the world is treating me bad mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and that's uh, that's what the songs about is it's you know living in misery but there is kind of a melancholy. Yeah, mel- I'm the, I'm the kind of guy yeah. that never used to cry. Yeah, you know? the, the, there's a melancholy about about it as well. So, I mean, it's, as upbeat as it seems, it's kind of a mid-tempo it's song. Tempo. It's not yeah. it's not s- slow, but it no, it's not it, it's, fast it, it's, like yeah. I saw her standing there, right? Exactly. So, it it, it moves quickly, but it's not super fast, but the, the, it still has that melancholy, so yeah i i liked it um yeah. I've, heard, I've heard this song before and it's uh it's a good song I really yeah it's it. an excellent song
0: and that's another good thing though is if you look at how the beatles bounce off these songs you know a lot of albums you'll go listen to sound pretty similar throughout similar mm-hmm. structures instrument instrumentate you know the instrumentation and everything sounds real similar yeah. the beatles don't they they have a weird way of going from a rocker to just a weird ballad. To songs we'll, we'll talk about we get later in this album mm-hmm. that are just like way out of bounds, yeah. you know, for what what's the norm. And it, but they somehow make it work, you know. Yeah, they're kind of trendsetters. Yeah. So we go to the next song, and it's mm-hmm. actually a cover, a song called Anna, Go to Him. Yeah. It was written by Arthur Alexander. Mm-hmm. Now this song, it, it's a slower song. Yeah. Um. This one's sang by John Lennon, and famously, he had a horrible cold when he sang this, and I can ah. tell. I can tell in mm-hmm. his... Or at least I think I can tell. Maybe yeah. it's
1: just because but I know. His his voice does sound like he's uh, what uh a little more husky than normal. Strained a tiny yeah. bit and a little husky, mm-hmm. and,
0: and maybe I'm just reading into that because I know famously yeah. it's been written a number of times mm-hmm. that he was super s- sick, <laughs> but... You know this this is another song you know this is and yet it's on the album i mean (laughs) well that's they just want to lay these
1: things down right we don't have time to
0: wait for you to get better you know get your ass (laughs) in
1: here and sing the song this uh this song was new to me i i don't think i'd heard this one before
0: well yeah and you're not the you're certainly not the deep dive beatles fan that i I am am. i mean you know all the radio play songs and Mm -hmm. and some of the others but this is a good song i i it's kind of funny, Anna. Go to him, and obviously, mm-hmm. this isn't written by the Beatles, so it's it's hard to say. But it, yeah. it's almost like a I "I want to get rid of you" type of song.
1: You know, it, I've I look at this song as uh, being a very mature approach to relationships. So, uh, the singer of this song uh, is more in love with Anna, but Anna's kind of you know two time in him, and there's another guy and. Uh, her life and she want if if she likes him better than the singer of this song so you know let's say john lennon um then john lennon's telling her hey if if you want to be with him give me my ring back and go to him I mean, yeah it's kind of like ouch
0: <laughs> yeah and i guess yeah. you know to me it, i don't know why but this is another song that shouldn't work with the beatles yeah it, it's kind of strange in that weird way, but it
1: it's a good song. It's a good song, but yeah, it's it's not your typical it's not your typical Beatles.
0: Yeah, it it isn't. But you know, the funny thing is, is throughout history, I don't know if there is a typical Beatles. You know, I don't know if it's Paul or John that you know somebody said, "What's your formula for writing a song?" And <laughs> and and I'm probably blowing this up and ruining it, but it was something of this nature that <laughs> well, if we knew what the formula was we wouldn't do it. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> they wanted every song to be uh-huh. its own and stand yeah. on its own. And that, that's why the Beatles aren't, you know, you can call them a rock band because they had rock uh-huh. songs. You can call them a pop band because they had pop songs. Yeah. They had surreal songs. They had, I mean, just
1: everything in between, mm-hmm. you know, storytelling songs. And, and on this album, there's, uh, you know, your stereotypical lovey dovey love song.
0: Yeah. 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 Basically. Mm-hmm. So this brings us to the next song, "Chains." Um, yeah, this, this
1: was another new one. To
0: me. Yeah, and this one's a song written by Jerry Goffin and uh, Carole King. They were married at the time, mm-hmm. and of course, Carole King famously, you know, did the Tapestry album and and had a lot of hits, you know, mid seventy, early to mid seventies and things. Yeah. Uh, but this was before. This is when she was just writing with mm-hmm. her husband, and so this is a song she wrote um, way before. You know, she, anybody mm. even knew who she was. Yeah. It, this song's got a good harmonica intro
1: to it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of bluesy.
0: Yeah, it's kind of bluesy. Um, this song's actually the first recorded song sang by George Harrison.
1: Yeah. Something I noticed about this uh, with George Harrison singing, he, George Harrison sounds like John Lennon with a cold. Really? Yeah. I've never really <laughs> thought about that. And, uh, well, there's another George Harrison song on this album that I know it's the same thing. He sounded like John Lennon with a cold. Well, and I really think, you know, George Harrison,
0: you know, he he had sang quite a bit on mm-hmm. live with them as they are yeah. playing the places, but his, his vocals, especially on the two songs on this album, are a
1: little weaker than the rest, mm-hmm. and I, I just don't think he was – He's got a, a little rougher, a little deeper voice than John.
0: Yeah, but I don't think he was quite polished yet, either. I'm no. used to it, especially during the recording. But he was also quite young, too. The youngest <laughs> yeah. Beatles. So, But this got a good harmonic intro. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd have to ask Jerry and Carol what they wrote it about. But it really sounds like it's a man that wants to
1: go do some running around.
0: Yeah, but he can't
1: because he's whipped. Yeah. He's right. I mean, he's already committed to this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he is whipped.
0: That's just kind of what it sounds like. Now, this this song is not my favorite on the album, mm-hmm. but it's a good way I think to get George in there, and I like the way the Beatles, you know, all four Beatles sing on this album, mm-hmm. and I think that's another thing that actually stands him apart, you know, yeah. because a casual Beatles fan probably can't tell who's singing, you know. I and mean, you play mm-hmm. those games too, right? Sure. You know yeah. this. Tell me who's singing, Tyler? Because
1: uh, honestly, I am a little what? I'm a, a novice when it comes to the Beatles, so I'm I'm getting used to them, but I'm not by any means like uh, you know just automatically know who's singing. So yeah, a lot of times I'm guessing when it comes to who's singing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's funny, I I guess I don't understand because I can tell right off the bat, but I'm so used
1: to it, so... But I'll tell you one thing I can I, I can know for sure is I can tell that they sound like the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. As much as they have a different range and scope, I can tell, like, if, you know, Ringo, he's one of the Beatles. John, he's one of the Beatles. George, one of the Beatles. Yep. Well, at least you're on the right band. And Paul, he's, you know, usually... A beatle but well, he's usually singing anyway so true yeah so
0: not a bad song kind of album filler as far as I'm concerned I we could go either way on that but it's not a Beatles song either so no. the next song also is a cover um, boys yeah. um, written by Luther Dixon and Wes Farrell, um, and this is Ringo's contribution to singing on this album
1: yeah and you know he's a really good singer
0: he's not bad on this he's got a good voice it's not bad on this song. Now this yeah. the Beatles this was always the drummer's song, I guess playing live. Mm-hmm. Pete Best always sang this song as well.
1: Oh really? <laughs> yeah, so it,
0: it was just the drummer song. It, okay. It's a good
1: little blues rocker. Yeah. Um nothing this, this special. This was another one new to me. I think uh, the rest of this most of the songs on this first side were new.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's you know it's funny because most Beatles fans and this is the way I kind of transitioned was I got into their later stuff first, you know, hey Jude, let it be, get back, those kind of things. And I found my way backwards because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't born yet when the Beatles, you know, first hit. So, you know, I'm on the second side of things, but it's easier to me to get into their later stuff because it's more commercially... Mm -hmm. I think it's aged better is probably the way to put it, you know, okay. because of the production value and things like that. But yeah. I really enjoy going to these early albums mm-hmm. that are just straight rockers and kind of an indication of the times. And it yeah. kind of shows you, if you really put yourself in the mind, that this was different. You know what yeah. I mean?
1: This was something people hadn't done. Yeah, this, uh, Boys is kind of a hard rock song. It's not heavy metal, but it's it's hard rock. Yeah, it's yeah. just straight. And...
0: Mm-hmm. straight rock, and it's, it's a good song. It's in, you yeah. know, I think in a good, it's a good one for Ringo to sing because he doesn't have to go out of some kind of special vocal ability
1: to hit a bunch of highs and lows. You know, it's pretty yeah. straightforward, and it's not a bad song. Um, you know, you were saying, uh, when we were listening to this, that they were going to, or that they recommended they change it to girls instead of boys. Yeah.
0: They thought, um, I guess they thought, you know, by singing it as boys, you Mm -hmm. know, and all the connotation in it about boys that it mm. would take on some kind of homosexual
1: meaning I guess I could see that um, and, but if you're but I could see that just if you're not paying attention to what he's singing yeah and it's I, almost like a boys will be boys kind of song this is how boys are that's the way I've always taken yeah. it until I read that I didn't think of it any other way right no and so you know, girls well that's all we really want is girls That that's a song that came later
0: yeah, and it so, wasn't
1: the Beatles. I don't know. I mean, famously, the Beatles said, "You know, we don't care what people
0: think. We're going to sing the song how no. it is." And <laughs> I think it turned out to be a good number. I, I, I think it's a good contribution by Ringo on here, and I mm-hmm. think it's, uh, I think it's, it's kind of amazing that he just barely joined the band and mm-hmm. they're throwing him into singing a song, right? Yeah, right so, off the bat. <laughs> yeah, good song. He did good. Yeah, good song, and I think he still plays it live with Ringo Starr and the All-Star Band. He should. Which I'm going to go see this July, I believe. Hey, good for you. I yeah. can't remember if it's June or July, but I'm going to see him again. Yeah. Actually, not again. I've never seen Ringo Starr and the All-Star Band. Well, I hope that uh, you enjoy him. I'm going to try. And I, I hope, hope he'll enjoy you. It's probably about my last chance, isn't it? Uh, he's getting up there. Yeah. <laughs> so, next song, Ask Me Why. So this is another Lennon and McCartney composition, Mm -hmm. uh, mainly Lennon's song. Um, Mm -hmm. He sings on it for the most part. He's the main vocalist, but there's a lot of good dual harmonies with McCartney on this one. Yes, there are. Um, This song was actually the B-side of the Please, Please Me single. Okay. Um, And funny enough, it was originally one of the songs that actually did place... Or uh, record with Pete Best. Oh. That turned George Martin off to it. And no one's been able to find that uh, version. It apparently was scrapped, and George Martin oh. wasn't happy with it. And it's when he decided to
1: tell him that, hey, we need a session drummer on this, you know? Uh-huh. And so, anyway. So, it- George Martin basically went into the studio and grabbed the reels and um, set the, set fire to them while stomping up and down on them. Something like that, and uh, Pete Best looked on with horror would have no
0: been li- would have been yeah. a tiny bit smarter for him to keep it for a release, but no one ever would have thought yeah, about those things at the time.
1: <laughs> you know, and this was one yeah, of the songs. George Martin was just trying to build a band, right? He was trying to build a band. This was one of the
0: songs that wasn't on that VJ release, introducing the Beatles. Uh, mm-hmm. This and please please me, but um, on version two, um. They uh, removed Love Me Do and put this on there. Oh, okay. So, kind
1: of interesting, but... Um, yeah. I I don't know that I can agree with that decision. Well, you know... not not a bad song, but I think that uh, Love Me Do and Please Please Me are better songs. Well, without a doubt. Yeah.
0: This is a good song. I, I would say the things that are best for this, it's, you know, another one of the album filler songs, but it's a good song to have. Mm-hmm. It, the dual harmonies between Lennon and McCartney kind of foreshadowing what's to come and how well their yeah. their vocals work together, I think, is probably the most important thing on this one.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's see. There was a little bit of a callback to misery in this song. Yeah. Um, very analytical song about the reasons for uh, having affection. Yeah, and they took a different, a different approach
0: to those kind of things. Their love songs were not so. I guess you hit that on the head. They're more analytical than <laughs> straightforward in some ways. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of straightforward, we get to the next song. Please please me. Yeah, this is pretty so, big
1: straightforward.
0: <laughs> yeah, and this is another uh, Lennon McCartney song, mainly Lennon's song. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he had you know used this because of kind of a Royal Orbison take on things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sang by Lennon for the most part. This song, when it was released as a single, reached number two in the UK and number three in the US. Wow um and now in the u.s though it was originally released with ask me why as the b-side and it didn't do well Mm -hmm. but when they re-released it in january of 64 with their other new uh song from me to from me to you as Uh the b-side that's when it hit number (laughs) three and most of that was in reaction to i want to hold your hand because i want to hold your hand had boomed up on the charts Mm -hmm. and so it, yeah. at that point, it once I want to hold your hand in January, 64 hit, you know, hit and went straight to number one, they just started pushing these songs out and they were going to, I mean, people were going to buy them at that point because it was such a phenomenon, right? Yeah. So, and that kind of shows, you know, it, it can't even hit the top hundred and then mm-hmm. two months later it's released again and it, you know, hits number three. Kind of surprising. Kind of crazy. Yeah, but. really yeah so this you know this got good Lennon uh harmonica in it mm-hmm. uh i really like the bass track in this it's it's an excellent
1: bass track laid down especially for yeah. such an early song mm-hmm. um it's a it, it seems like it's got a really upbeat um m- like uh tune for or upbeat music for the the tone of the message of the song
0: well yeah and it was originally a pretty slow song it was slowed down quite a bit and george martin the producer didn't like it and Mm -hmm. he he just didn't like it at all you know and he asked them to try speeding up the tempo and they they did Mm -hmm. speed up the tempo and all of them enjoyed the song much better and as soon as they recorded it george martin told them hey this
1: is your first number one hit that's uh you know that that's the vision that george martin had so uh good on him for recognizing it i'd be i'd still be very curious to see if they have any recordings of the original like tempo that was slowed down to match more of the the message of the of the song yeah it and i can see how
0: i mean you look at it obviously it's Mm -hmm. easy to look back in perspective but You know,
1: slowed down, I don't think it would do very well. It It probably wouldn't. I I would just be really curious to see what it originally sounded like. Well, I'm one that's always said,
0: you know, you know how you have, there's some, uh, some bands have released two versions of songs and the Beatles famously Mm -hmm. did it too. You know I mean? You go forward with like, say, Revolution. Mm Mm-hmm you know, they release that in different versions, and they've got Mm -hmm. the slow version on on the White Album, and then they released the fast, upbeat, rocking version Mm -hmm. as a single, and I love the fast, upbeat, rocking version. So my thoughts always, you know, especially when a band, obviously at this point in their careers, they couldn't just flood the gates with everything. But I like Mm -hmm. when a band says, God, we have this slow, and then we got this Mm -hmm. other version. I'd be happy if certain bands release four versions of the damn song,
1: and then I could yeah. choose which one I like the best. Yeah, I mean, that being said, I like this song. It's a good song. Uh, I just thought it was, you know, listening to the lyrics, because uh, this is, the, the message of this is a, a very, guy, a guy that's very fr- <laughs> frustrated in a one-sided relationship. He's uh, giving his all to please his girl, and he has a chat with her like, hey, why won't you please me in return the way I've been trying to please you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this was their second single released mm-hmm. in the UK after Love Me Do, and it was actually the first single released in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, of oh. course, that first time it was released, it didn't do well. Yeah. So they re-released it, you know. But yeah. a very pivotal song, I think, in mm-hmm. their career. Uh, Rolling Stone does rank this 184th out of 500 songs, and I— I'd probably tend to agree with that to a certain sense. I think it's more pivotal in the meaning of the song than in how good the song is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Being one of their first single to release. And yeah, this is, this is a landmark song for the Beatles. It is. And with the harmonic in it, it's got a good baseline. It's, it's, it, it pretty much defines what the Beatles were in these early years. And it, you know, these all these singles they released at first were very strong for them, right? Yeah. And it's what set the set the plate for what was going to happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is kind of what ignited Beatlemania.
0: Yeah. So Please Please Me, obviously the title track, that closes out side one. So if we flip mm-hmm. the vinyl over to side two, we open up with Love Me Do. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this was their first single. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, B-side of this was P.S. I Love You yep. when they released it. It's another Lennon and McCartney song, mainly written by McCartney.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, one thing I like about this is it opens up with a harmonica intro, mm-hmm. and it actually opens with the chorus in harmony from Lennon and McCartney. Mm-hmm. And you don't see a lot of songs just open with a chorus, and I, no. I really like how they've done that and yeah. in
1: harmony. This song was um, a conundrum listening to it because this is really a, a harmonica and a drum song. Like the, those are the two big instruments. The bass is keeping the the tempo and the rhythm in, in the background. Yeah, but it's pretty. The bass yeah. is very uh, diluted in this. Yeah, you don't hear it, the bass line up front. You it, don't even hear the guitar up front. It, really. Exactly, yeah. and so I'm like listening to this like. This is a drum and harmonica song and this is like the drums they're being played as an instrument and the bass is doing the keeping time. It's it's such a weird thing for for me to listen to that, but I love it. And that's just this is so much of what the Beatles are. It's like, yeah, what formula? We're going to throw it all out and do something completely different. And this is what they did. So this song did reach number one in the U.S. Mm-hmm. in 1964. Now, of course, was after I Want to Hold Your Hand hit yeah. number one. So, um, And I- I'm surprised because uh, uh, it peaked at number 17 in the U.K. Yeah. Because usually... Um, it's backwards usually it does better in the uk than it does in the us well that was quite a bit earlier though in the uk Mm -hmm. it was their first
0: single so i mean to have your first single hit number 17 is pretty strong Uh, if you think about it um you know and this is the Mm -hmm. one where you get into the drumming issues right yeah so the album version that we just Mm listen to that's actually andy white the session drummer and you can tell the difference because you can hear the tambourine in it Mm -hmm. Ringo plays the tambourine. I had to piss him off. He's a new member of the band, but we're not going to let you drum on this song. (laughs) Um, But you can hear him. If you want to hear, the single that was released is actually Ringo's drumming. Okay. And you can catch that single on the Past Masters album of the Beatles that has all their singles. Mm -hmm. And the easy way to identify is no tambourine oh and then on the anthology one version was the original version they recorded with pete best there's no tambourine but it you can tell the different in drum in drums so if you have you know you can go on spotify or whatever and listen mm-hmm. to those listen to those different versions listen yeah. to the album version listen to the anthology one version and listen to the past masters version so they're kind of interesting um you know i really kind of like the album version with Ringo on the tambourine. I think mm-hmm. I just like the tambourine added. Yeah. But the drumming is stronger in the single version. It so, really is. Yeah, Yoko Ono just came along too late. Basically. yeah, That's basically what happened. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, a lot of people consider Love Me Do to be kind of the Beatles, as it was their first single in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the first big song, you know, that obviously started setting them in
1: place to go forward. Mm-hmm. So. We move on to the next song, P.S. I Love You. Yeah, this is the uh, Paul McCartney Lovey Dovey song. Yeah. yeah. So this is a Leonard McCartney song, but, mm-hmm. you know, mainly McCartney's, you know, yeah. and,
0: and it's sang by McCartney. Um, this song, mm-hmm. I'd say it's got an excellent bass line in it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like when they're McCartney-driven songs, he definitely gets a little crazy on the bass, yeah. which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it's got excellent harmonies once again on the chorus. And I... Yeah. That seems to be a theme throughout this album, Tyler. Mm-hmm. Is the the harmonies and maybe I'm looking at this in retrospect, but to me the mm-hmm. harmonies are what sets this whole mm-hmm. album
1: apart. Because mm-hmm. this is a different song; it's a different sounding song than the rest of the songs on the album. This is a a, a love song. It's a just you know a real sweet, mellow love song. Yeah, it's... and that harmony is so key to it. Yeah, I mean, because we're going from Please
0: Please Me to, fir- yeah. to finish out the first side. Mm-hmm. We we start out with Love Me Do,
1: although it's very harmonica and drum-driven. Yeah. It's still a rocker. It's a rock song and a very rhyming song. Yeah, know? and then P S I Love You <laughs>
0: is like yeah. a complete turnaround. It's yeah. it's different, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so this was actually the B-side to Love Me Do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So kind of interesting those they put those together. So on the U S albums, This was actually on introducing the Beatles and the early Beatles, and then they also uh, released it on the compilation Love Songs in 1977. As they should, they should. Yeah, this is definitely on. Well, it says, "P.S. I (laughs) I love you." you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And funny enough, this was engineered and produced by Norman Smith because Mm -hmm. George Martin was out of the office that day. I don't know if it was with a tummy ache or what, but that'll happen when you eat too many biscuits with your tea. Exactly so not a bad song you know it's it's a good album track it's uh you know i've always enjoyed it just because it's yeah. it's a good play off of the other songs
1: yeah but once again this uh seems short I'm, I'm sure it's not as short as it seems but it just seems like it's over sooner than you expect yeah well most of them are yeah so we move on to baby it's you uh oh, the cheat song yes mm-hmm. so
0: Famously written by Burt Bacharach, who just passed recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is sang by John Lennon. It was this hit. Was, this was also a hit for the Shirelles. Yeah, and the Beatles played this song live quite frequently in their early years, sixty-one oh. to sixty-three. It was a staple of their live set.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, this seems like a Beatles type song. It does, and yeah, it, they, these guys like songs that uh, that hit a hard left midway through it because this is a classic love song and then cheat (laughs) well not only that but lennon's vocals
0: almost reach a screaming point yeah i really love Mm -hmm. lennon's vocals and the strain Mm -hmm. you know sometimes i don't like strained vocals if they sound strained
1: like they Mm -hmm. can't get there yeah but these sound like he's frustration right yeah it's belting it out of uh, how he's feeling yeah i yes. really like this
0: song mm-hmm. i you know if it was i was to pick between ps i love you and baby it's you i really like this song
1: yeah this is a great song it,
0: and i'm mainly just sitting on the
1: vocals mm-hmm. i think the vocal track is yeah. amazing on this i think lennon does an amazing job yeah like a song that's about how he's stuck in love with this girl even though he knows she's running around on him <laughs> it's, yeah. it's Yeah, baby, it's you, you cheat. (laughs) Yeah, very very strong song. And like I said, the vocals do it for me on this. This really showcases Lennon's vocals. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, very talented singer in this one. And uh, he he really shines on this side of the the album. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So we move on to the next
0: song, Do You Want to Know a Secret? Another Lennon-McCartney composition, you know, mainly written by Lennon, but... Mm -hmm. Funny enough,
1: they um, decide to have George Harrison sing this song. Yeah, and uh, once again, I ha- George Harrison's voice to me just sounds like John Lennon with that cold again. Yeah, he he's kind
0: of raspy in this, and it's uh-huh. kind of kind of a weak vocal, in my opinion. I mean. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm a George Harris, I'm a Beatles fan all yeah. the way around, you know. I don't mm-hmm. like to pick, you know, my favorite Beatles. all this. The yeah. Beatles are the Beatles, mm-hmm. and I I enjoy all of them, and I, I've i always yeah. pulled for all of them. I enjoy all their solo work and things mm-hmm. like that, but this kind of shows George's gap, I think, at first. I, I don't think he was very strong, and I, I mm-hmm. think this song, it's... I don't know how it would have turned out with Lennon or McCartney singing it, but... Mm-hmm. This is probably a song, probably one of my least favorite songs on the album. Okay. Um, It did reach number two in the U.S. in March of 64 when VJ released it as a single. Oh. And it was the most successful George Harrison song, funny enough, until Mm -hmm. the very end when he released, you know, Mm -hmm. his... Beautiful song, something yeah. in nineteen sixty nine. I mean, so this was the most successful Harrison sang
1: Beatles song until sixty nine. You know, I can I can see that. It's a, a smooth, uh, happy, melodic song.
0: And to me, that I, I guess why this song, and I and maybe this is why Lennon McCartney didn't want to sing it. I think mm-hmm. it's simple. Yeah. And I think, in a way, they might have been a tad bit embarrassed because they wrote it, but they didn't see it constructed mm-hmm. in. It yeah. just wasn't a complex enough song to be there, so they decided to give it to Little Brother George. <laughs> <laughs> Here, you sing this. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, probably one of my least favorite songs on the album, but it's not a skipper for me. I don't yeah. have many Beatles skippers. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But, yeah, definitely not my favorite. Yeah. So we move on to the next song, A Taste of Honey, mm-hmm. written by Bobby Scott and Rick Marlowe. Yeah. Um, this one's sang primarily by McCartney. Mm-hmm. Um, this was another staple in their live set, 62, um, 63. They played mm-hmm. quite often. Um, it's a song that's been recorded by a lot of artists um, yeah. Herb Albert, The Hollies, Tom Jones, Tony Bennett, The Ventures, Chet Atkins, and I mean. Wow. More, I mean, a ton more yeah, that I then, can't even name. This has but, been covered, <laughs> but it's a weird song. It really yeah. is, and I didn't used to like it, but mm-hmm. I've come to like it just because it's strange. Yeah. But it shows the Beatles' diversity and and how this is like they're mm-hmm. they're doing rockers like I saw her standing there. Then a taste of honey.
1: Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah. is this even the same band? A uh, taste of honey that's sweeter than wine. Well, yeah. Honey is sweeter than wine. Which, you know. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's got kind of a, a medieval sound to it, where it's uh, kind of old English. Yeah, and it, it's slow, but it... Yeah. But, yeah. It, w- but once again, you have something very unusual that happens in this song, where it sounds like the guitar is the one keeping the beat, while the rest of the instruments play. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting yeah. song. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and like I said, I didn't used to like it that well, but mm-hmm. I, I've come to really enjoy it because it's just kind of weird. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't fit, mm-hmm. but that's what makes it fit. If that makes sense, yeah. And that, the Beatles, I, I normally wouldn't use that with other bands, but the Beatles
1: mm-hmm. made
0: a career on each album
1: having a each song was different, right? Yeah, and that's exactly it. it if we say that honey is that sweetness, or that that's where the the flavor of the Beatles is that's exactly what this song is on the album this is a taste of the Beatles uh, that you're gonna see as they mature into the band that they'll become this is uh, a taste of honey yeah it's and it's it's a good song another cover you
0: mm-hmm. know as I was looking at this they've got one two how many covers they got on here Tyler well there's uh, one two four, three Yeah, something like that. Four, five, six. Okay. So they got six out of the 14 covers, right? Which was Mm -hmm. quite common at the time. Yeah. But the one thing, you know, besides, you know, when you get to their fourth album, they didn't do a lot of covers here after this, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's one thing that kind of made them stand out from other bands. And so... But I think to fill this out, the, a lot of these were songs they were playing live, and they knew them, and that, that kind of kind of fits into if they were going to record this live, that kind of makes sense. It was their live set, you know. Yeah. So that moves us to next song. There's a place. Mm-hmm. Um, another Lennon McCartney uh, tune. Yeah. Uh, basically penned by you know Lennon, but it's this song's got a lot of harmonica accents in it, and I yeah. really enjoy them. And I enjoy mm-hmm. the harmonies on this one too. This mm-hmm. this song to me, with the harmonies between McCartney and Lennon and Harrison, is mm-hmm. is basically early Beatles to a T. Yeah. This song pretty much defines the you know the the early era to me. Yeah. And I I really enjoy this song all the way through. And I don't I don't feel like I should, but I do.
1: No. I I noticed that this uh song has a very similar. Tune to it to the song "Misery" earlier in the album, and uh, I liked it. I, I really like the the song "Misery" and the uh, the melody that it has. Yeah, this one's a little it.
0: faster than it is "Misery," yeah. but mm-hmm. yeah, similar.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and you know i i don't know i just really like the harmonic accents throughout it um Mm -hmm. i like the harmonies uh this was released in i think this was the yeah this was the Mm b-side to twist and shout this only hit uh number 74 in the u.s oh so not very strong no but but that's pretty good for what this song is yeah i yeah. mean twist and shout hit number two in the u.s so and the a side yeah so then we move on to twist and shout Yep. Mm-hmm. to finish out the album and yeah this is
1: the theme of Beatlemania. mania <laughs> it kind of is it's
0: another cover written by phil medley and burt burns pretty mm-hmm. pretty popular hit it had actually been popular popularized the year before by the mm-hmm. Isley brothers in 1962 okay. and the beatles version is most like the Isley brothers oh. um and one thing that's really well-known for this song is it's kind of considered the best first one-take song of all time. Really? So they took it in one take. John Lennon was had a severe cold at the time, was sicker in hell, and huh. apparently they were slave drivers because they made him sing. I am
1: surprised that John's voice could handle uh, this because it... Yeah, he really strains his voice on this one. Well, I think he could have done more than one. Twist and think. Shout's been done by a
0: number of artists, right? Yeah. It's been covered thousands of mm-hmm. times. And the one thing I can say on this, you know, John Lennon's sick. Mm-hmm. The one thing I call out on this song is the vocal. This is an mm-hmm. excellent vocal. Yeah. His vocal on this is above and beyond. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he's straining, but it, it's in a perfect way. He's yeah. kind of got that gruffness. It's It's like mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah,
1: this it, is a song for a performance.
0: Yeah, this yeah. And, and it was. Speaking of performance, they did perform this on Ed yeah. Sullivan in '64. It was one of the songs they performed that
1: really hooked the U.S. to the Beatles. So, mm-hmm. yeah, real hard rock. Um, this is something that uh, the kids love to dance to, and they are gonna scream their heads off and that this is the song that made people lose their minds i'm sure well and this is an excellent way to end an album this is the way you end an album just like (laughs) they started
0: it with i saw her standing there yeah this is an excellent way to end it Mm -hmm. boom boom right and they did that later too with like dizzy miss lizzie and they ended albums Mm -hmm. they had a good way of opening and ending albums and and maybe that's where it comes into play that it was kind of the U.S. albums, even though some people are used to them,
1: mm-hmm.
0: were kind of strange because they weren't how they meant them to be. You know, these song arrangements and, more importantly, the song order mm-hmm. was done on purpose. Yeah, for sure. So when you change those albums up, it it gives a whole different yeah feeling to it. Way to go, know? Capitol Records. But 60th anniversary, you know, I think to me. For a long time, I didn't think the early Beatles, the first couple albums, held up very well. Mm -hmm. But I think they hold up better now for me personally than they did 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, whatever you want to say it. I I love this album. I find myself referring back to the early Beatles albums Mm -hmm. more often now than I did when I was younger. I can see that. Yeah, and so it's, you know, but that's what's so good about them is you... You know, they're together such a short amount of time as far as producing albums seven years basically. And they did all these albums, but it's not so many that how many albums, it's the where they went from point A to yeah, to point B to the end. Mm -hmm. The music's so different,
1: yeah. They innovated so many things, and yeah, it's it's almost like um, watching the Beatles from the early albums to the late albums. The early albums, you, every once in a while you see this sprout uh, from the seed. And this uh, the sprout looks like every other sprout in the garden. But as you get to the later albums, you start to see that the sprout has bloomed into something that's not like anything else in the garden. I'm going to be honest with you. I I've never heard anybody compare the Beatles to
0: a garden, but... I I just did. I know you did, and that's fine. I'll I'll
1: keep that reference. (laughs) How about plant in a garden? How about (laughs) (laughs) that's that's fine. Yeah, okay. Because yeah, what these guys are is they're a sunflower that's growing amongst the corn. So you knew a few songs off this album, right? Oh yeah. So what is your take, and what is your what is your rating of the album overall? Excellent album. Um, I think it was compiled very well. Uh, Like I said, the Beatles have this style about them that refuses to go with the grain. Uh, So while a lot of these songs sound a lot like the rock and roll of the period of the early 60s, they they throw a couple curves at you. And just to let you know that, no, we're not uh, just another band of rock and roll era. We are... Um, innovators, and we're here to change things up. Well, and that's what they did with yeah. every album. You know, it was mm-hmm. they were one step or
0: yeah. 10 steps ahead of everyone mm-hmm. else. So, you know, and the Beatles are it's a very <laughs> it can be a very interesting topic because most people either love them or hate them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And love them or hate them, you cannot deny the impact yeah. they've had on other artists mm-hmm. and the music industry as a whole. There's no doubt yeah, about that. Exactly. But, you know, but they they can be you know, it can be a very good discussion between people. For sure. I mean, they're polarizing mm-hmm. in one way or the other certainly, yeah. but uh, I rate the album without a doubt because of its its mm-hmm. content, the time frame it was released in and its impact a 10 mm-hmm. out of 10. Okay. What would you rate it?
1: Um I was thinking more along the lines of four. No, (laughs) (laughs) no. Hey, you can't offend me. I know I can't offend you, but um, I would definitely offend a lot of listeners out there if I said (laughs) that and meant it. Um, No, I really like this album. Um, I'm going to give it an eight, Uh, mostly because I'm just not a huge Beatles fan, and this isn't some of my favorite Beatles music most most Beatles fans
0: especially coming in like the later stuff you know it's more relatable it held up a little better yeah
1: but there's not a lot of criticism that I have for this album or things I don't like about it yeah it's just I'm not your biggest Beatles fan out there and therefore I give it a night we're going to get you there. We'll get you there soon. Well, you're already up at an 8. I mean, you're going to get me to a 10? <laughs> you probably will. Maybe so, maybe not. I could be. I I, I could get to a 10 on the Beatles.
0: Well, sure. that's that's our review of the Beatles' debut album, Please Please Me, debut mm-hmm. UK album, Please Please Me, on yeah. on the 60th anniversary
1: mm-hmm. of its release. So, so, happy anniversary to the Beatles. Um, both of them, they're still with us. Exactly. So,
0: go give it a listen tell us what you think and you can send us your questions your comments your mm-hmm. review requests at classic vinyl podcast at gmail.com you reach out to us at classic vinyl podcast on instagram if you'd like or at classic vinyl pod on twitter
1: mm-hmm. and you know i wonder if uh, sir paul mccartney or uh sir star would give a I, i'm sure they're both knighted um that's why i say it that way i wonder if they would uh reach out to us on twitter and tell us what they think about it what they think of their album wouldn't that be fun yeah. they probably don't even recall it I, well i think they should they should <laughs> once
0: again thanks for listening to us yeah. uh go give us a follow and a like and we appreciate yeah.
1: anything Kay. you can do because i'll say john lennon he would send us a tweet If he was around, he would. (laughs) If he was, yeah. Until next time, see ya. Thank you so much for listening to Classic Vinyl Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Classic Vinyl Podcast for updates and also share us with your music-loving friends.